Hey, welcome to the Boredom Breaker podcast, where plagiarism is forbidden, but original thoughts are very rare. So yes, we will steal your ideas, but we will give you credit for your ideas. So thanks for joining us at the Boredom Breaker podcast. I am Jerome Bushnell. We've got Ian Porter and Tanner Dean here to hang out tonight. Hello. Um, hello, 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 Ian. I interrupted you. Nope. I interrupted Tanner as he was saying hello, and I didn't give you your chance to say hello, so here you are. Here I am. Wonderful. Well, tonight we are going to talk about the kingdom of God, and as a disclaimer, um, I don't want to get into the eschatology of the conversation. I'm not going to talk about end-time stuff so much. We're not going to discuss whether we're pre-trib or dispensational or um, post-mill. It, this this is not an end times conversation, but it is a kingdom of God conversation. So there might be some overlap. Um, we are not end times experts. At least I'm not. I can't speak for Tanner or Ian. Oh, I'm not. But, <laughs> but we are happy for you who have joined us this week because we are going to talk about the kingdom of God, which I think is exciting. I mean, Jesus liked to talk about the kingdom of God. So obviously it was important to him and it should be important to us. So any preliminary thoughts before we get into a quote and start discussing? Yeah, I've heard that Jesus talked about the kingdom of God more than he talked about anything else. That might be true. I I, I don't know that statistically, but I don't doubt it. I mean, it I, it makes sense that that would be the, the case. Uh, any any thoughts for you, Tanner? Just that you know, if we're talking if we're talking end times, it's it's good to keep in mind that we don't know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, Jesus said, "No one but the Father knows." Yeah, you know, when the end is come, when when he'll return. So keep in mind that it's all sort of speculatory, it's still gospel based, but yeah, yeah. There there's some things we can we can um, garner from scripture or or glean from scripture in terms of what does make sense. A lot of it is, um, uh, I think they call it apocalyptic literature, which is found in you know Ezekiel and and some of the other um, Isaiah, some of the other Old Testament prophets. And so, and speaking of plagiarism, the Apostle John, in, in the book of Revelation, would be guilty in modern day of, of, being, of plagiarism. Like, John copied a lot from Old Testament text in his discussion of end-time events in Revelation. So, um, anyway, all that to say, we're not discussing that this week, but I just, I think it's fascinating that John seemed, he, John was addressing a... Um, first century Jewish Christian audience, and he was using a lot of Old Testament Jewish scriptures to do so. But let's get into the kingdom of God discussion. Uh, Go forth in faith to extend the domain of the king. Don't go to negotiate or compromise or worse, to fail. That's by Sunday at Elijah in his book, Kingdom Driven Life. Now, he mentions the domain of the king. It's interesting that that word kingdom... It's just it's just a word that means domain of the king. So when you when you hear kingdom, you should automatically think, okay, there's a king involved, and there is some sort of dimensional um, dominance or or um, you know if we think a, a king's domain in England, the king of England, well, he owned England, um, or Napoleon owned. Um, France and whatever else land he wanted to take until he is defeated at Waterloo. Um, Jesus Christ owns everything. Like his, the kingdom of God, the domain of Christ Jesus is all of it. There's um, Abraham Kuyper. I'm just, I'm just paraphrasing, but Abraham Kuyper said there is nothing. There is no square inch 
um, of the earth where Jesus doesn't say this is mine. Right? Jesus owns it all. So the the visual aid is completely highlighted. The whole, not even the whole earth, just all of existence, the whole universe. Yep. Yeah. So Every it's Adam, so. it's all his by him for him. I think Colossians says that. And so, any thoughts on that on the domain of the king um, before we? Oh, we're getting some audio issues. Maybe something else we need to. Are we pausing or are we gonna? We lost Ian for a second. Hold on. Yeah, we can keep talking. Yeah. Go ahead, Tanner. Uh, um. Well, I was just gonna say, people. I mean, sometimes you know, going going to what you were saying and kind of referring back to like out outside of Earth, people tend to think of like you know, this being. Well, this is where this is where God's realm is, or, mm-hmm. or whatever. This is where creation is, so that's where God's limited to. But you know, there's and there. I mean, we could talk about this for a whole week, but um, everything, every star, every galaxy, every every nebula, um, are all under the authority of God. They're all, you know, owned by Jesus. He proclaims them all as His. He has absolute authority over. Every black hole, every every speck of dust um, that does exist. Yeah, and I think it's also interesting how if we divide up human history, and it, now they say you know, common era and before common era, they add that E in there, BCE and then CE, which is fine. I mean, because then you could ask the it begs the question: Well, what's common about it? What makes the era common? Hmm. You know, but initially it was um, BC and AD. BC being before Christ. And A.D. being Anu Domine, or whatever, which is Anu, or annual, is yearly, or the year of. And Domine is where we get our word dominion, dominate, um, dominator, or, you know, to, to, to rule, or the or Lord. Um, so A.D., Anu Domine, is the year of our Lord. So something happened in history in which um, it shifted from... This was before Christ to now it is the year of our Lord. Or this was before, this is the common era, and this was before the common era. Well, well again, what's so common about it? Mm-hmm. Well, the, right. we could say, well, the kingdom of God is what's common about it. The kingdom of God was initiated, and we are now no longer under the kingdom of darkness, under the kingdom of death, under the kingdom of sin. We are now under the kingdom of light, the kingdom of life, the kingdom of righteousness, the kingdom of God. That's in that's like an interesting way to, to think about it too is, is is traditionally with BC and AD, like the center is very much on on Christ mm-hmm. as the center. Mm-hmm. But even even when if you're saying, you know, common era before common era, there's still, like you said, what begs it to be common. Right. You know, there's still something central that makes everything, you know, sort of sort of uniform now that wasn't before. Right. Um, beforehand, there may have been, um, well, again, it was before Christ, so there was the kingdom of, you know, darkness or whatever the case may be. Ian, we just got done discussing um, how history is divided between BCE and CE, before Common Era, Common Era, or BC, before Christ, and AD, Anu Domine, which is in the year of our Lord, the year of our Lord. So even if even if we were to get the religion out of it, like, okay... 
we're not going to talk about Christ. We're not going to talk about the year of our Lord. We'll just say common era. Well, it begs the question, what's so common about this common era? What makes right. it the common era? What's and, the new constant? Yep. And so there, there's a, a question that needs to be answered there. And we talked about, well, okay, the common era is, again, back to a religious perspective or a biblical perspective. It's It, it merged away from the era of darkness and death and sin into the era of light and life. And, and righteousness. Well, I mean, I guess that's what everybody's trying to do is trying to forget about Christ, right? Yeah. But, um, I mean, I would argue that we're not any better off now than we were then. I, I would actually disagree on that point. Now, in terms of individual sin, y yeah. I mean, we're born with a sin nature. True, yeah. yeah, we're born with a sin nature, so... I, I think when you when most people talk about sin, they talk about circumstances and not um, being. Like we are sinful in our being before we are sinful in our circumstances. But in terms of better now, I'd rather grab a cold beer out of my fridge in the United States of America than um, be a slave in first century Rome. You know, I, I think by and large in terms of the dominion of Christ and technology and um, freedom and everything else, you know, fill in the blank. I think the world has has become better, um, even though individual sinners are still born into sin with a sin nature. Yeah, I guess it depends on where you're talking about. Yeah, we have it pretty well off here in America. You're right. Mm -hmm. But um, <clears throat> I guess I was more referring to the sin nature, though, thing. I mean, yeah. you know, people like to think we're getting better as a human race, but no. No, yeah. no. no I, I would agree with you. <laughs> I would agree with you on that. Um, the, only, the only caveat I would add is, you know, we, I think we talked about this a few weeks ago in terms of the next reset or, you know, whatever the case may be, or restart, is that when each individual is a new creation in Christ Jesus, he or she has become a new creation. And so the old has passed away, the new has come. And so when that spreads, by and large, culturally and globally, etc., um, I mean, there's there's more Christians being persecuted in China and the Middle East than there are here in America. But that presupposes that there's more Christians in the Middle East and in China than ever before. Persecuted. Yeah. So Christianity has spread globally. Um, and again, I'll, I'll grant you this. I'm not saying Christians are better than non-Christians, but they are um, being changed in Christ, whereas non-Christians, obviously, the, you know, that term in and of itself presupposes they're not being changed in Christ. Yeah, <clears throat> I see what you mean. Um, yeah, I think I would agree with you there. I think we're we have an advantage because there's you know, God kind of working in our backgrounds and, you know, in, the, in our background and um, kind of helping us out a little bit. But, I mean, sin nature-wise, no, we're not any better. Christians or or modern... Mod, modern Sorry, Christians. Christians? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think I get what you, you're saying. Uh, as in, we will struggle with sin just like non-Christians will struggle with sin. Um, but I would go to, what is it, Romans... I think it's Romans 1 where Paul is, you know, listing these um, 
these sins and, and individuals, and he says, and such were some of you. I mean, there, there is a sense in which we are not participating in sin the way we were participating in sin. Certainly not with a, uh, a complacency. I mean, we're convicted of sin, whereas if you ask a non-believer uh, about their sin, until the Holy Spirit brings conviction, there, there is none, I guess. I mean, I'll grant, though, in terms of God's common grace, there might be a, a like, their conscience is still work. their conscience is still working in them, like, oh, I shouldn't have done that, because I think every human being has their conscience. Sure. But there's a difference between consciously being aware of your sin versus being truly convicted by the Holy Spirit and being broken about your sin. Yeah, I would agree with you there. Um, well, how about how about I leave it at this? I suck. <laughs> Agreed. No. Yeah, I know. No, no. Yeah, <laughs> we I we agree. You sucky. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, dang it, man. No, 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 no. I oh, hear you. Yeah. And you know, I think that's a great point because I think as believers, the more we become like Christ, the more we see our shortcomings. You know, we're, we're not comparing ourselves to non-believers. I I can't say. Well, I'm better than my neighbor who's cheating on his wife. I mean, if, if my neighbor is cheating on his wife, I can say I'm not cheating my wife. But that's not what we're talking about. What we When we grow closer to Christ, we realize how far away we really are. And like, okay, I never cheated on my wife, but why did I, you know, stare at that girl too long? Or why, you know, why why is this pride still building up inside of me? Like, that conviction of sin should be ever more present as we become more like Christ, we realize how unlike him we actually are. Yeah. <clears throat> well, in the, the way, I mean, I think I agree with you. I'm not sure, though. I'm, I might say it in a different way. But, you know, you said, you know, well, I, I, I didn't cheat on my wife. Well, I mean, Jesus kind of said that you did. Yep. Yep. You know? Exactly. That's why I'm right. saying that it's the comparison. Like, who, who are, are we comparing ourselves to? Christians should not be comparing themselves to non-Christians. That's actually the unbeliever's perspective is, well, I'm better than this person because I didn't do this. Ours, our perspective is, you know, what is it, that story in Luke with the the um, Pharisee who went in and was like, hey, I did this this week, I didn't do this, you know, God, thank you for not making me like that tax collector. And the tax collector was just beating himself up saying, God, please forgive me, I'm a wretched sinner. And Jesus asked, which one of them went home righteous? Which, which one of them went home right with God? You know, it's to make us look at ourselves and say, what is our perspective of ourselves, not based on others, but based before God himself? Mm -hmm. Tanner, I think you're going to say of, something. Well, I was just going to say, that's, I mean, that's how you can kind of, kind of tell, tell the difference between believers and non-believers is, you know, that, that awareness of, you know, people, people like to liken it back to like murder. Well, I've never killed anyone, so I'm not that bad of a person. Mm -hmm. But you've hated people and given the opportunity, you probably would have. I probably would have. Yeah. And that's, that's being aware of that and being aware of how many opportunities you do have to sin and, and even the, the idea Maybe, maybe you didn't act on it, but that's still in your heart. Yep. You know, the, the very fact that that, that that sort of willfulness and that sort of desire even entered your airspace at all mm -hmm. shows that, that your nature is right. And being able to acknowledge that is, is kind of where we see the difference. No, I, I agree. I actually, I get to a point where 
when I lose patience with my kids, I'm not smacking them in the face with my hand or fist. And I'm just like going from Jeremiah, I told you dot, dot, dot to yelling and flipping out where I have to confess to my own son, please forgive me. I lost self-control because I'm teaching my kids fruit of the spirit. And so they're aware that self-control is a part of that. And when I lose control, I have to tell my own children, you know, I, I'm sorry I wasn't patient. I'm sorry I lost self-control. Will you forgive me? And so my children see in my confession of sin that I am making a point that I still need more and more of the Spirit in my life. Um, because even in something as simple as yelling um, compulsively, is as bad to me when it comes to my children as well to anybody as it would be to murder like Cain and Abel right sure God warned Cain hey settle down you're about to lose control mm -hmm. you know if if you if you provided a good sacrifice wouldn't wouldn't you have been um, honored but ah. now sin is creeping at your door or yeah. sin, sin is you know whatever whatever the passage says and and Cain didn't heed God's warning, and Cain lost self-control, and he didn't just yell at Abel. He killed Abel. Mm -hmm. Boy, we really got off topic, but this was a good conversation. <laughs> Any thoughts on that before I try to gear us towards the kingdom of God again? Go for it. So go ahead. So I actually wanted to bring in here, so the kingdom of God discussion can go all the way back to the Garden of Eden because um, the... The biblical narrative in terms of, okay, so we're, okay, so we're not going to talk about end-time eschatology. We're also not going to talk about creationism. We're not going to argue over uh, evolution, six-day creation, etc. But I will say that in terms of the original um, creation, functionally speaking, I'm not talking material origins. I'm talking functionally speaking. God created the cosmos, 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 in such a way as to reflect what would be a temple. So same thing, the, the tabernacle was like a miniature cosmos for God's temple. You know, there, there was the, um, the lights, the burning, you know, burning lights, there was the water basin. Um, the tabernacle was set up in such a way as to reflect the, the rule of God in his, his temple or temple space. Same thing with the original creation. So when, when it says that on the seventh day God rested, it doesn't mean God was taking a nap. That rested there is the same implication in, in ancient Near Eastern literature, um, and, and there are the deities. It's the same implication to say that he took his rule. So if you think about it, God's, Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father now. Like he ascended to heaven to take up his rule. He sat down, not because he's lazy. He's like, okay, guys, in a few thousand years, I'll come back whenever, you know, whenever, whenever, I'll come back. No, Jesus is literally... Um, spiritually you know physically creationally however you functionally jesus is functionally ruling from heaven right now in the garden god was functionally ruling in his cosmic temple right mm -hmm. you're saying just just to to sort of you know reiterate you're saying he didn't he didn't the idea of sitting isn't because you know god needs to mm -hmm. it's it's a symbol of establishing you know this is complete now my rule begins yeah yeah absolutely okay. it's it's establishing his rule um so uh, and then obviously adam and eve were given the mandate to go and take dominion of the whole earth under god's rule 
Adam and Eve were little rulers over the whole earth. Just like today, if we talk about the kingdom of God, Jesus Christ is king of kings. That doesn't mean that he's the best king of all the kings. It means that all the kings are little kings, and Christ has all authority and ultimate rule over little kings. He's taken the tier above, so to speak. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. So, And then, the, what is it? New Testament says that, don't you know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit has functional rule of the cosmos that is us as human beings and that our beings are the the miniature cosmic rule on this earth through the power of the holy spirit so the kingdom of god advances as believers are controlled by the holy spirit just like in the garden god's rule advances adam and eve move forward under god's lordship which course we know how the story changed but um anyway any you guys want to riff off of that at all we, so. we can't have too much silence on this podcast people are going to not listen all right well let me i want to bring some, yeah the, the board i'm like oh these boredom breakers are too quiet no all right so, i don't want to dominate conversation i always want to give you guys a chance to talk um here's another thing thought in terms so jesus almost right away he went to the wilderness to be tempted actually he was first baptized he was baptized the father spoke the holy spirit came down like a dove and they went to the wilderness to be tempted and when he was coming back from his temptation in the wilderness he said repent for the kingdom of god is at hand the kingdom of god is near it doesn't mean the kingdom of god is two thousand years from now it meant he was bringing the kingdom of god it is ever present before you right and so right away right when jesus began his ministry the kingdom of God was in his mind. And I wanted to bring up really quick the idea of miracles, right? Because we, and this, again, so disclaimer, I'm not talking about creationism. We're not talking about end times. We're not talking about how, how miracles are active today within the church. But it's a funny thought if, again, this will connect back to the Garden of Eden. Jesus had two loaves of bread and, and, and some fish, right? And Jesus broke the bread. He gave thanks. He broke the bread. And what happened? He had enough to feed 5,000 people. Well, if you think about how farming works, one kernel of wheat will go into the ground and a plant will come up and you'll have 30 kernels to a head of wheat or, you know, whatever. Even in nature, the way God established the natural world, one kernel of wheat will multiply to more and more and more kernels of wheat that just happens naturally so when we think of miracles and the supernatural all jesus was doing is like hey the you know we already established this in nature and look at what i'm going to do now you know we're like wow wow two loaves of bread and he feeds five thousand people wow but what we don't say to the farmers is you put a kernel of wheat in the ground and you got 30 more kernels of wheat wow you know we just take that for granted we don't think that's we don't think that's special because it's just how the world works. That's the same principle. I took one, I made more. Jesus took one or two loaves, whatever, and he made more. And I think if we change our perspective to what God is capable of doing just in nature and what Jesus is capable of doing in the supernatural, when we talk about the kingdom of God, we can get more realistic to every little thing we do. Like, all I did today was I got up and I went to work. And then I came home, I had dinner with my family and friends, and then I 
got on with Ian and Tanner to do a podcast. Is there anything special about that? It's just it's just routine. But what is God doing that we don't even know? And what is God doing for the for his kingdom, for his domain, just by these simple little things that we take for granted? Well, it depends on how far you want to go with it, too, because you could even say, um, well, the fact that oxygen goes into my lungs mm -hmm. and then goes, you know, and spreads throughout my blood and my blood goes throughout my whole body. You could say that that's a miracle. Yeah. You know, um, just the fact that we are living conscious beings and we can even sit here and, and video chat over the Internet and record it and have people listen to it. <laughs> I mean, that's a, like if you said something like that 100 years ago people would be like, they wouldn't have any idea what to even think of that, you know? Right. Yeah. They'd be looking behind the screen like, where's Ian? What? Oh, he's not there. What's going on? <laughs> this is weird. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's funny about, or I never thought about it that way, what, what you said earlier with the, the two loaves. It's almost like Jesus just took what was already going to happen and just did it faster. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, so it's like people... I mean, if you really think about it, people weren't amazed that that could happen because obviously it already happened all the time. But it's, mm -hmm. they were amazed that he could do it right then in front of them and just. Yeah. It's almost like, watch, I have control over this natural thing. Yeah. That can happen. So, yeah, almost. Um, I think that's, you know, not thinking about it till now. It's almost a great display of his authority over everything is watch. I, you know, mm -hmm. here I am, you know, sort of re. I don't want to say recreating, but that's the best where I come up with. Sort of recreating this this active nature that I already have authority over. Yeah. Well, I also think it's pretty fascinating in the Gospel of John, uh, after after his death and burial, when you get to the resurrection, Mary Magdalene um, went to go find Jesus, and she was upset at first because she thought Jesus was the gardener, right? Mm -hmm. Like. She, it's actually, I think she was talking to the angels, but the scripture says that she confused Jesus as the gardener, which in my understanding presupposes that there was a hoe involved and he was working the ground or, or maybe he was just, you know, organizing flowers or I mean, whatever the case may be, it wasn't that he was just sit, standing there doing nothing. Yeah. Chilling up against a tree. Yeah. Like he oh boy there's so much we can talk about here and we're going to be running out of time pretty soon okay so seventh day god rested it doesn't mean god took a nap it means he established his rule um but that automatically it means what means what happened on the eighth day or we could say day one again the, the beginning of day mm -hmm. one what happened adam and eve got to work god god established his rule and then there's evening and there's morning boy there's so much we can get lost on here if you think about it, we, <laughs> we sleep at night for the most part unless we have night jobs right there was evening and there was morning the first day. God does all of his work in the evening when we're dead. Like, right? We're not, we're, we're, we're basically acting like we're dead. We're, we're breathing because he makes us breathe. Our heart's beating because our hearts beat. Our brains are still working. But we have no functionality other than our natural, our, our, our body's natural sleep time movements. Whatever that may be. I mean, I'm getting a little lost here. But... Boy, where was I going with this? Okay, so no day idea. one. So day seven, God rested, established his rule. Day one, Adam and Eve got to work. 
Um, Jesus was crucified on a Friday. He was put into the ground, rested on the seventh day. So if we wanted to go with that saying, he established his rule. And then on the third day, he rose from the dead, which would have been Sunday, which would have been day one of creation work. And, he, and he's being confused as a gardener. Right? So death, burial, and resurrection is a picture of, in a sense, taking from chaos and turning it into um, organization and resting on the seventh day. He's just in the tomb as far you know, as far as he's, he's in the tomb, he's dead. But then on the third day, which would have been day one of the creation weeks, you know, Sabbath is Saturday. Day one, he gets to work. He's confused as a gardener. So, even his death, burial, and resurrection is a picture of him establishing his role and saying, okay, get to work. <laughs> Just like Adam and Eve in the garden. Any thoughts on that? I wonder if part of the confusion of, of him being confused as a gardener was that well, she saw him, and the first thought was, or like the thought didn't even enter her head that he could be alive. Yeah. So I was like, well, I oh, that's... must be a gardener. Yeah. You know, didn't even. So I think, <clears throat> you know, to, I, obviously it doesn't say what he was doing right. specifically, but um, I, I think there's a, it, there was probably just um, at first a, uh, just a, a gut reaction, and then. I wonder if she even like saw his face and recognized it, but was like, no, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, wow, that girl looks like Jesus. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> wow, he looks a lot like Jesus, man. <laughs> no, so I'm wondering. I don't know. It, again, it doesn't provide that much detail, but right, um, you know, I was, that's an interesting thought. A lot of speculating either way. Boy, there's so much more. This we can't talk about the kingdom of God and not not spend like twelve episodes dealing with it. Mm -hmm. um, we're about at 30 minutes now. Ian, you want to close us out? Well, thanks for listening, everybody. We really do appreciate it. Uh, don't forget to, if you were not bored, <laughs> like it and share it and tell your friends and subscribe. Tanner, any last thoughts? I don't think so. I think that, uh, that encapsulated it pretty perfectly. Cool. Well, God bless you guys. See you next week. <laughs>